This episode of Blue Shirts Breakaway is brought to you by you, the fans out there. Go to patreon.com slash Breakaway. Here are BSBOT episodes and a bunch of other fun stuff. Thank you so much for supporting it and what make this podcast go. On today's episode, we have Travis Yost from TSN. Before that, we start off with a about a 10-minute story from Gregory um, about his weekend at a, at a bachelor party at a bar in Austin, Texas. And then from there, it's all Rangers. Trade trade talk, who gets traded, who doesn't, uh, who gets up in the rafters, a bunch of five-star questions. Is Igor a hard candidate? Who's the trade deadline? What about the playoffs? Everything you could ever want from the number one New York Ranger podcast. But first, a lot of talk about an arcade game that results in some sort of paraphernalia. Very fun. Um, so Greg will be doing that for about 10 minutes. We'll go right into the show after that. Well, the show starts when the show starts, which is the second, like, I don't know, 10 seconds from now after like that with the music. You totally understand. This is a rant. Okay. Anyway, let's get to it. Here's Mark Messier. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Fans. Welcome to the Week of the Bushes Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead of Patreon.com, where you can support the show, and I'm here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan, uh, off a wonderful adventure. Gregory, say hello. Sit down. I'm sitting? I have a story. I, you know I'm always sitting. <laughs> well, need to make sure this time. <laughs> I, so, you, you teased this, in case you're wondering, on the Twitter.com, I heard. Sure did. Uh, the story has everything you want. Drunk people, uh, sex toys. Yes. And... More drunk people. Cool. Uh, I will tell everybody, this is the number one New York Rangers podcast, and we will be getting to all of that. We have a great guest in Travis Yost, but first, Greg Kaplan. Greg. So it was a buddy of mine's bachelor party uh, in Austin, Texas. Everybody understood the good time I was having Thursday. I'm going to preface this story about Friday by saying I got so fucked up on Friday (laughs) that I forgot Thursday happened. In case, for for people that aren't, Patreon members, there's a BSBOT we did with Greg, uh, and he's recording live from a hot tub. You can do fill in the rest. Keep going. <laughs> Friday, we went out fairly early, got a very good barbecue lunch, started our drinking early, having a great time. Half of us took a break around 4 o'clock to go back to said hot tub at the house, do some home drinking while getting a good soak in before we go back out. Now, the part of this story that's going to shock you, Ryan, is I was in the half that went back to the house. So I was shock me. (laughs) I was half of the responsible party. Now, um, if people have gone out to bars in the Northeast, you'll you'll see more times than not that there's like a constant theme about specific arcade games in bars in the Northeast. Buck Hunter. And Golden Tea. Those are the big two, right? More times than not, if you're at a bar that would have an arcade of any variety, you're going to see a golf game, you're going to see a shooting game, which is funny because it's Northeast. In Texas, every bar we were in had one of those rate, like measure the strength of your punch machines. Um, Which, by the way, I've never really seen on East Coast bars, period. We had one in college, but it was only their junior year. And I don't remember you going out junior year, so I'm pretty Didn't sure Didn't drink until I was it. 21, so there you go. Yep, you're a bitch. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so the, Pete, the half of the group that stayed out, they had discovered the brilliance of these punching machines. Because the brilliance of these punching machines isn't show how strong you are to your friends. It's 
there is a prize if you hit two specific numbers. And it has to be specific numbers. And the prize is a dildo. Right. The 934-point dildo is very big. But the 714-point dildo is fairly significant as well. I want to make it clear that these dildos on the open market are probably worth anywhere between $25 and $50. Now, that price point is going to be important later. Anyway, the four people that stayed out at the bar discovered these dildo punching games. You. And I did not discover them. Again, I You were back back at the house being responsible. Got it. Keep going. I was back at the house being quote-unquote responsible. We go back out. We meet up with these guys. I believe the name of the bar was Friends Bar. Like that's uh, like friends, not the show. None of that goofy shit on the wall. Complete dive, complete hole in the wall. Live music, casual bar, not a big crowd. And our four friends just wailing on this punching dildo machine in the back. Cool. Trying to win some dildos. I think we've, yep, okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we show up and these guys are like, no, we're going to get them. And I, in my infinite wisdom, who has been drinking since the hour of noon and who has been having nothing but rum and cokes the entire time, say, I bet $250 none of you get one of these dildos. And they're like, you're on. So we're punching the machine. We were at this machine for probably an hour, hour and a half. You wait, we were at this the part machine I didn't know. You were, you were punching this for an hour and a half? At least. Wow. We were at the machine long enough where everyone entering the bar, instead of going straight, again, complete strangers, entering the bar would come back to us, ask what the hell we were doing. We would explain it to them, and then they would go on with their night. Anyway, after about an hour, I, in my infinite wisdom, am texting a certain person I shouldn't be texting. If it's not the Someone one, if who, you're a long-time listener, it's not that one. Keep going. Oh, no. I would say if it was Meg. It was not <laughs> Meg. Uh, okay. It was a certain person I shouldn't be texting. The only reason I was texting her is because senior year of college, when I was dating her, um, the, the, the guys on this bachelor party were very involved in that relationship anyway i start explaining to her how we are wailing on this machine trying to win a dildo right and she goes that's hilarious and i was like do you want it and she's like what and i said do you want me to win you this dildo will that help whatever is going on between us and she's like that sounds absolutely lovely and i go great fantastic don't worry about it as soon as she says yes i go five hundred dollars if anyone gets oh, the Gregory, dildo. my poor, poor co-host boy. Yeah, emphasis on poor. Everybody in the bar perks up. And this, this group of people come over and they said, no, come on, you're kidding. And I was like, no, no bullshit. If you hit that number exactly, $500 from me to you immediately. Greg. And this guy, <laughs> this guy, I can, let me, let me do my best in explaining to him. I think he was in his 30s. But he looked like he was in his late 40s, early 50s. That's a good job. Life has been hard for this man. He had a mullet that looked like it hadn't been washed in at least three weeks. His teeth, some of them weren't present for this event. I think we've got the paint. I understand. Got it. Got it. He's like, and how he's like asking for tips on how to punch it. And the the very other drunk people punching this machine are being like, oh, you got to go like this. And and he was like, all right, I'm going to give it a try. And he hits the button to put the bag down, and he hits it. And the numbers start going. And I go, oh, this is interesting. And it keeps going. He gets to about 680. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And it starts slowing down around 700. 
And I go, oh, this is very interesting. <laughs> and it was one of those, it's one of those crescendos where like, you know, when a player is on a breakaway yep. and you, the, you can s- s- hear the crowd starting to slowly get louder and louder and louder. And they're building to this anticipation of the moment. The breakaway for this man was the number going 710, 7-11, 7-12. When it got to 7-13, the band stopped playing. No and when way. It got, and it, when it stopped on 7-14, <laughs> the bar erupted in a way I had never heard an entire building erupt before. A bartender left the bar to run back to celebrate with us. We were holding the dildo like it was the fucking Stanley Cup. We were parading it around. <laughs> this man was Ryan in tears. He was crying because, again, I immediately, after I, I celebrated you for about 15 seconds. Well, he introduced me to his very pregnant 20-something-year-old girlfriend. Oh. And she was at least the smart one who collected on the money. And I did it immediately. They had never, I've never seen people leave a bar faster because I think they thought I was going to be like, no, come on. It was a joke. Give it back. I'm like, no, fuck that. It, you, you won. You did the thing. This is Greg. God bless you. the rest. The rest of the night. Um, it's just a bunch of drunk dudes at different bars telling this story and waving dildos in people's faces. And it, from my experience, everybody loved it. Uh, Coyote Ugly had a really fun time with a dildo. And imagine. that's all I'm going to say about that. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, we also lost the dildo at the end of the night. You wait. No, that's the worst part of the story. Kes- <laughs> Kessler, Kessler lost the dildo. No. What? Yeah. I was yeah. Like, ready to move on. So totally. No, Kess- I Part of the problem with the dildo was when we were all getting ready to leave. We've also, we've had this podcast for about seven years now. We've never said the word dildo as many times as this podcast. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking like I'm not. I'm not using a dildo. No, as an I understand. Analogy. Yeah, we're, we're not talking getting, a physical we're, pink, right? We're floppy not, we're dildo. Just describing it, we're not getting any notes. Totally. Strong suction on the bottom of those things, though. Good for them. <laughs> um, anyway. Oh my god. Kessler, we're all getting ready to leave this bar. There, seven of us, eight of us. I don't fucking know at this point. Seven of us are getting ready to leave the bar. Kessler parades me, my drunk fucking ass, outside and goes, "Greg, don't move. I need to go get the other guys." And I say, "Okay." Now, my perspective. I was under the impression that I listened to these instructions very well, and I did not move. I know you. I don't recall moving. Well, I don't recall leaving. Not, not a single foot left pavement in my mind. Next thing I know, 10 minutes goes by, I get a phone call. It's Kessler. He says, where the fuck are you? And I said, <laughs> exactly where you left me. He's like, that's impossible. I'm exactly where I left you. What street are you on? And I look up, and I tell him what street I'm on. And he goes... How the fuck did you get a quarter mile away from me? And I said, Ryan, swear to God, this is not an exaggeration. This is not a joke. I have no idea. I did not move in my eyes. Nothing happened. All that happened was I was dropped somewhere. And next thing I was told is where I was dropped is not where I should have been. All right. Greg, God bless. I'm, I'm, I'm happy you're okay. That's the moral of the story. And um, everyone, out I apologize there. to the people I left drunk voicemails to because there were a couple of you. Especially, and I'm one. sorry. Uh, and yeah, I don't her. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, uh, no, I might be, I might be in big trouble. He, he's a pilot, you see. Ryan. <laughs> okay. This per- Let's, the person. Greg, they've already said too much. Just, I'm, I'm here as your producer. I'm just covering you, buddy. Don't, don't do this.
You're good. You're good. That's it. The anyway, over. Austin, Texas. Highly recommended. Anyway, Great Austin. barbecue. Austin Matthews. Solid steakhouses. Oh, I should also say, I did get to a point where uh, I had been telling The Bachelor all day to walk up to people, do the horns down, and say Boomer Sooner, and I gave them no context for it. Now, the problem is, I said those words too many, and I had so many drinks that at some point, you only recall the words you say most often throughout the day. So unfortunately for me, that meant I was now the one doing horns down and saying Boomer Sooner to everybody. I did not make as many friends as I thought I would make. Uh, Yeah, I'd imagine it didn't go well. All right, let's get to it, shall we? I guess so. I guess so. Uh, Over the weekend when you were uh, doing your thing, um, the Rangers did... When I was drunk, right? Just call it like it is. That's that's correct. Uh, The Rangers did end up playing two games. To be honest, you didn't miss much. Uh, I heard they won twice. They did. Did they win twice? Yeah, they did in considerably convincing fashion. Um, well, look at that. I know, right? Igor Shosturkin turns out he's a hard candidate. If you believe what? he is, we're going to talk to Travis Yost of TSN in about, I don't know, 20 minutes from now. Um, uh, uh, considerably about this, and I, I think you – I all credit to you, Greg. You were the first person, uh, at least I, I heard, that said that we, the Rangers should go in for Igor Shosturkin. We'll see if they actually go all in um, because Igor has been – Absolutely unreal this year, no no doubt about it. Rangers beat the Devils three one. Then they they kind of like manhandled the Jets, even though like there was plenty of shots from the Jets and Igor faced plus forty shots, of which he is by the way, ten zero and zero when facing forty plus shots, which is a ridiculous stat. Um, they, I, I, this is one of those things where I'm going to be that that non analytic guy. I watched the game, dude. They they dominated the entire time, despite the six penalties they gave up which was absolutely ridiculous. Um, but even then, Igor Sturkin just took care of business. No big deal. Game was, honestly, pretty relaxing. Pretty great time. And, well, uh, isn't it – didn't that game give you the vibe that, like, one team was forced to shoot more because they just had to, and the other team is like, we don't really care if you do. We're just going to win this game anyway. Yeah, and Chris Kreider was just like, hey, listen, I'm unstoppable right now. Power play, I'm automatic. Guy scores like every other power play. It's unbelievable. Had a breakaway score. Very Chris Kreider-esque. Scored two. He's at 37 right now. Um, probably going to finish in the – definitely going to finish in the top three in scoring, it seems, at this point. Could hit 50, which seems unreasonable. Um, but the the whole team, like, I, I, it was just one of the situations where uh, the Jets stayed. Their Jets were at home. To be honest, the stadium was packed, but it was quiet. It was like a movie theater. I was, like, shocked. Nobody booed when Jacob Truba touched the puck. I believe it was his first time back. Nobody cared or gave a shit. Uh, Truba ended up scoring as well. It just was like a solid win. The team continued to move on. And it's not really interesting to break down those games because, honestly, they just were really easy, comfortable wins for the Rangers, which we really haven't gotten a lot of this year. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. I wish I had more insight. That's fine. I got actually a better uh, conversation for you to have with me. Oh, my. I thought about this today. Uh, $600 dildos. No, uh, but rather defensemen. In this case... um, the, the dildos of the NHL world. Anyway. <laughs> yes. The dildo episode. Um, anywho, there is a, there's a lot of trade fodder right now, a lot of trade conversation. There's trade articles coming out from everybody, right? Everybody's trying did to say, get did them you say, Did you say trade father? Fodder. Mm. I was about to say, would you know what trade father would be that, like? I, what is this father concept you're describing? I have no you see, Franco was at one of the Met games recently. I saw, and then the Rangers, <laughs> the Rangers posted John Franco's stupid face. <laughs> anyway, on their Twitter. And they're like, oh, look at the stars. Okay. Anyway. See, I, I had my dildo of the weekend. You had your dildo of the week. And there you go. Someone someone in the Discord, count the dildos on this episode. Um, anywho, uh, there's been a lot of trade fodder. 
I want to ask you a couple different questions about players that you would be surprised or not if they got traded. Uh, okay. The reason I say this is because in our Discord, we were talking about it today. You know, I just can't see a situation where Schneider or Miller gets traded. So I want to rate, rate you on a, a one to scale of 10, uh, a scale of one to 10 of, the, of where we go, of how surprised. A one to scale of 10. I can do that. You got it. Are you drunk this time? No, actually, I just had a really long week and day. Yeah. So, so like, you're not going to start talking about people's chest hairs all of a sudden? Definitely not. And uh, I'm sitting down. So in this case, um, let's start with the, the obvious answers. Um, people okay. I believe that will get traded. And I've actually gone down on some of these names, and I wonder if you have as well. I'm starting to get the feeling that Niels Lundqvist isn't getting traded. Have you changed on that? No. You're getting that feeling because he's playing well in Hartford? I'm not only getting that feeling because he's playing well in Hartford, but just because, and I know that Drury is locked up, like the information just doesn't come out, but it does seem to be the general consensus that Drury doesn't want to trade Niels for a, a, a quote-unquote rental. Okay, so, but like, what are you going to trade him for then? Because here's the thing, there's no room for Niels Lundqvist. In the eyes of the New York Rangers, there's no room for him. So, my problem is, it's nice that they now are maybe possibly understanding the value and excellence of Niels Lundqvist. But like, unless they actually go to an 11-7 lineup all all year, and it's not Lieber Hayek in the lineup doing it, at some point, there just isn't room for a dude. I I I don't think I still think he's getting traded. I I would say the odds in my eyes are still fairly high. We have Travis Yost TSN on later, as we mentioned, and he plugs during that time the TSN trade bait list. In the top fifty, there's no Vitaly Kravtsov at all, and I find that shocking because I do feel like he's he's the one I have at like a ten, the guy who's definitely getting traded, and I'm assuming Here's, that hasn't trade, changed for you at all as well. Yeah, no. Do I think Vitaly Kravtsov is ever going to play a game for the New York Rangers again? No. Do I think NHL teams are more nervous about trading for a guy who is currently plying his trade in Russia? Yes. Big time. I think I, I, I saw today that the memorandum of understanding between the NHL and the KHL has been severed. Uh, I know that Kravtsov is under an NHL contract, so he does not get impacted under those rules as another player would who is a just KHL only contract. But I do think that because of world circumstances, there are teams uncertain about whether a player they are acquiring who is currently playing in Russia is going to be a player that will be able to ever play for them. And I I do think that is a, it's 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 a fair consideration at this point in time. It's it's not a. I'm not making a comment about any other situation going on over there. I'm not saying anything. Right, right. I'm just saying a result of everything that is happening. You're just letting... isn't a quite yeah. A team wanting to acquire a certain player who is currently playing in Russia is maybe now thinking twice about it. So I do think that is a large reason why you're not seeing his name floated around nearly as much anymore. That brings me to Julian Gauthier. I feel like he's the odd man out, and I don't know why I feel this way. I understand that he creates penalty, creates offense, and you've made that case and argument here. But something something about him, and I think he was scratched for personal reasons. We've I don't want to get into it entirely, but there has to be a reason he was scratched there. Um, obviously, they didn't want to play the way they – they don't want to play – who wants to play 11-7? Nobody. Absolutely nobody. It, it, the Lieber-Hayak – 
giving him time thing. I don't believe that shit. What's the crock of shit? The, of shit. the king, king, king liar himself. For sure. Uh, king liar in that, in that, that way. But I feel like Gauthier is kind of like on the way out. I'd have him around like a six. I, I just, as much as I like him and as much as you watch him. I could see the potential. I see it. I don't know if he'll ever finish. Well, like what, what's the trade where he's a piece involved? know what i'm saying i guess to me he would be involved in, in an anaheim trade for raquel but like what else are you sending out that makes gochier a relatively not maybe not significant but important feature in that trade i think he's usually attached to another piece in a pick in that case so you're getting a controlled player with upside no matter what for another team. But that pick is at least a second. At least a second. In my eyes, right? Guaranteed. Lock it up. So the, the Gauthier piece of this is essentially you're bringing in a winger. You don't want to make a roster move, so you have to send out a winger. Yep. That's exactly okay. it. Okay. All right. So then under that, guys, yes. I don't think, like, I don't think the Rangers are going to trade for Raquel and then turn around and trade Gauthier for a fourth. I agree. It's not like, hey, let's just get rid of this guy no matter what. He To me, he's always part of this shakeup that Drury might do in these next two weeks, which I can't believe we've been talking about this trade deadline for what it seems like three months now, and we're two weeks away, and yet nothing's happened just yet. As, as we say, tradition, it's going to be the last day. Uh, a couple more names for you. Philip Heedle? Whew. I don't know where I stand so, on Heedle. I, I, I mean, I know where I know where you should stand on Heedle. I want to keep The fact Heedle. that he's still a 20... 20- yeah, he's a 22-year-old with yeah, all the talent in the world. And all he has to do is, yeah, like, the, I, I understand that there's an op, there's a chance that Philip Heal never reaches his potential, obviously. Left-handed it's a chance for every player. Him. Yeah, it's just, he's, it, we've spent this much time with him. It'd be a real shame if, if like, you, you jump ship now, right? He's he's a child. He's, he's an under-control, cheap child. He, he's child labor. It's fantastic. Get those kids <laughs> back in the factories. Let's do it. 12-year-olds, they've had enough. I was a man at 13 when I had my bar mitzvah. And then fat, flash forward 20 years, and I was offering $500 for someone to win a dildo for an ex-girlfriend who was very much in a relationship. And that was the thing that I was doing. I say child labor is needed because maybe it would have kept me out of that bar. Okay. That's all I'm saying. But Greg, very, anyway. very controversial take uh, episode for you. Very funny. Anyway. Anyway. Phil Peele, to me, just has, in a couple of minutes, she just has all the upside that, that you'd want in a player like that. He's still cheap. Obviously, he's going to need a new contract the next year or two here. Um, but it, to me, trading away something like that, when 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 Ottawa traded away Mika Zabinijad, he'd been injured, he'd been off playing, he'd been not producing, and then all of a sudden he gets to the Rangers and he explodes. That's the last thing I want to see happen to Philip Heedle if he goes somewhere else. I'm, I'm still but, not. But not, but not just, not just, not just that point, Ryan. Do you have any confidence that if Heedle is traded, the piece coming back is going to be no. a piece that you actually see value in? No, 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 not at all. Right? Like we've heard Jake DeBrusque for how long? I, I don't want. I, I would not do DeBrusque for Heedle, and I'm sure. No, I, and I, it the, shouldn't. And you shouldn't have to trade Heedle for a Raquel. Exactly. To me, those are rental pieces. Like I'm giving away Philip Heedle for this. Like that doesn't that's, that's a lot of value. Like even if Philip Heedle doesn't ever go to his 
final form of whatever that is, he's a, a great cost-controlled player of which the Rangers Rangers are desperate for. Very desperate. Yeah, now, now I will say this. If Hedo was a piece in a trade for a Tomas Hurdle or a Joe Pavelski, I swallow that pill. That's a, that's the cost of doing business, right? We're specifically saying Philip Hedo for a marginal upgrade or even worse, just a different underwhelming piece from a different underwhelming team. That is not a deal I would make with Philip Hedo. Agreed. Uh, then I'm going to bring you to the last two because I keep seeing like their names pop up on national media, and I just see yeah, wait I, to me. These More importantly, have you seen those names pop up from old Mick? I have not. I have not. Okay. Well, then, Mickey, then they're not Mickey, getting traded. Are you sure you want to talk Mickey about them? Rangers? Is what you're talking about? The famous Twitter account? Yeah, the Big Eight. Yeah, the Big Eight. <laughs> I love Mickey. If you're not following Mickey, you got up. It's the only Twitter account I promote. Um, I haven't seen that, but I've seen Schneider and Miller pop up everywhere over the past couple of days, and I just. I know, I know Vancouver well, you, really like Snyder, but... But how many, how many times do we have to have this conversation, right? I feel, like, I feel like I'm going to shake it from your shoulders. You see it pop up because the Rangers don't talk. So what are the names that teams that actually talk are going to keep saying? We like Of course other teams... Yeah, of course other teams want Keandre Miller and Braden Snyder. They're good, they're young, they're cost-controlled, and they want other teams to feel like that is the price set for the pieces they are trading. Of course you're going to see those names. But the Rangers don't talk to anybody. You know how I know the Rangers don't talk to anybody? So I've seen one more fucking JT Miller rumor. I'm gonna put my head through a goddamn wall. The Rangers, Chris Drury doesn't talk. We've been con- we've said this every time we've podcasted since like fucking June. That guy is Fort Knox. Nothing comes out. All the speculation you hear surrounding the New York Rangers are coming from team sources not connected to the New York Rangers and agents. And that's it. Yeah. So those teams want Keandre Miller and Braden Schneider. Absolutely. Makes total sense. The Rangers aren't trading them. I don't know how else to say that. All right. Let's get to some five-star questions, and then let's get to our good friend Travis Yost. Uh, Okie dokie, artichoke. Are any of them about dildos? None of them about dildos so far. uh, None of a bitch. I haven't read all of them, so we'll get to them. This is from Just Gypsy. Uh, In a world where Georgiev is not traded this season, do you think the team Uh should give him more steady playing time? We can stop right there. No. No. (laughs) <laughs> there was more to that question, but I think we can stop right there. Yeah, I, I understand the mindset of the question, right? Because Georgiev is a player who seemingly needs more playing time in order to play better, right? But uh, the New York Rangers, a playoff contending team, have the best goalie in the National Hockey League. It would be like, do you think the Mets should start other pitchers besides Jacob deGrom if they could? Nope. The answer is no. Just You, you, you go with your good guy as much as humanly possible. Agreed. This is from Seamus. What uh, would you rather say? What would you need for a satisfying return for Filipino? We kind of just broke this down a little bit. It can't be just. Yeah, he would. If even if it if it's just a if it's getting someone else's broken part, I don't want to do it. But if the Sharks require him for Hurdle or the Stars, who I don't think are at this point going to trade Pavelski, but like if the Stars wanted to trade him for Pavelski, it has to be a player I view as a significant impact that could significantly improve the Rangers Stanley cup winning odds. And those are two players. I think that can do it. This is from NYR, NYR Coys 15. Interested in what you guys think of the cost for Kane at 50% retained for the next 1.5 seasons would be it's astronomical. And it, I don't think, I know that they're rebuilding in Chicago. I totally understand this, but 
the the package this person says is Heedle Neal's slash Jones or Kraft's off in a first. So that's like the Eichel package. So see that Eichel package for Kane. Eichel's still twenty four, as you can see now as he's performing pretty good and has come back from the neck surgery. Like go look at Kane's numbers and analytics. They don't they're not so great. I, I don't really see him as a as an option or solution for this team. As a as the end all be all that if this team gets Kane, are they going to win the cup just because of them? Because of him? I don't think so. Like they don't. I don't think increases their odds all that substantially. Do you? No, I, I don't. Like, no. The no's the short answer. I also just don't have like a taste for Patrick Kane. I don't want him. I don't want to root for I him. I don't want to talk about him right on a weekly basis. Yeah. Um, I also, but I also, I'll say this. Listen. We can't act surprised when star players decide that they don't want to leave places that are rebuilding. Have to remember that Henrik Lundqvist decided to stay. So it's not a guarantee that Patrick Kane's going to tell the Blackhawks he wants to leave. I'm not a thousand percent confident he wants out of Chicago. I think he's very comfortable there. His name's on a couple cups because of Chicago. I can't tell you right now for sure that Patrick Kane is going to want out just because the Blackhawks are going to be bad. I think he might hang around. And he might, he might stick there. But I'll tell you what, there's 0.7% chance Kane's moved before the trade deadline. You want to have this conversation again in the summertime when he's an expiring contract and more people will have cap space and the Rangers won't? That'd be interesting. But I don't think the Blackhawks are rushing to a decision on Patrick Kane for this season. I don't think they see a need to. Vinny Hay also asks about Philip Heedle and says he's looked better and say he's earned his time. I'm, I'm the jury's the the jury's out on Heedle. Nice job, uh, great job. Uh, this is from our uh, friend Fitz. Uh, the Rangers essentially took four high upside picks in the first round during the first two years of the rebuild: Heedle, Kraftsoff, Miller, and Niels. It seems like Miller is the only one that has a chance of hitting the upside with the team. So I'll ask: Are you still a fan of going for the upside when drafting? Do you consider hitting one out of four to be a success? This is a good question. I, I mean, I consider one out of four. I consider one of Miller and Lundquist hitting to be a success for sure. I do too, uh, especially because were... they're late round picks. And Heedle was yeah, too. Those... He's twenty one. Yeah, and Heedle seems like he'll have an NHL career, which is more than you can expect from drafting someone at twenty first overall. I think it's muddled because the two top ten picks are very clear zeros, right? So like, that's tough. At it's it's very tough to miss on the two picks that you're not supposed to miss on. And then hit on like Boy, three of the you're, picks the you're not you're supposed to hit. Is Krastov and Leas, right? Yes. Okay. Cool. Um, because also it's like, well, what does Niels Lundqvist get the New York Rangers, right? So like he doesn't play for the New York Rangers, but as an asset, which is what the Rangers acquired when they got him, are they going to get something that is better than the 28th overall pick in the first round? Like what? What does the Niels Lundqvist trade tree look like when he leaves the New York Rangers? How does it continue? Um, but I, I think if you told me on draft day when the Rangers took Keandre Miller and Niels Lundqvist that one of those two players was going to be guaranteed top four guy for the New York Rangers for the next decade, you and I would have both said, fantastic, that's more than I can expect. If you told me when the Rangers drafted a 17-year-old, 21st overall, that he'd be a productive NHL player by the time he was 22. And the thing you'd be most frustrated about was that he wouldn't be more productive than you thought he should be at that point. I'd be like, that sounds like a good problem to have. So like for those three, those three picks, I really can't in hindsight complain about them. 
it's impressive that the Rangers have very minimal complaints and have exceeded expectation with the late round first round picks. And then just, but again, the Kravtsov one, what's the one thing the Rangers have needed all year? It's Kravtsov. A Vitaly, it's Kravtsov. It's just so Kravtsov. Like, yeah, it, it's, it's hard for, uh, it, it's this, hard, it's hard to say. This actually goes into our next two questions. Just Gypsy and Filthy Horvat both ask, you know, what, what would you, would you still want to get a top six right wing spot? especially with Kako coming back whenever he does because of the way the top line is playing. And the answer is yes. And I don't mind moving Kako down to the third line if this is what it takes. Travis Yost will talk about Phil Kessel later in this episode. And one thing he mentions is putting him with a good center. I have no problem putting Kessel on that line. I don't think Panera would want him there, but that's I have no issue with that. Kako can move down. He can be flexible. I'm not going to be pissed off if we're making a playoff run and Kako's on the third line. Kako is but not Ryan, not, I'll, I'll even simplify it to you. I can't sit here and tell you for sure that Kako is going to be healthy for the playoffs. I can't either. I mean, you can't fucking do it. I don't think you should be the a good organization operates under the assumption that Kako it's going to take longer than it should. And no fucking idea. Even if he comes I don't right know. back, you're not it, it, you're seconds away from re-injury. It's a wrist. It's you yeah. just get a brace on. It could take just one well one wrong turn. And it's like, well, there goes your right winger. That's a problem. When Kako th- that's a good problem to have. Oh no, the Rangers have two guys for one spot in the top 6. I'd love for the Rangers to have that problem. They currently have negative three guys for the top six. So, like, I, I'll i trade the good problem for the bad problem I'm living in right now. Agar asks, should the Rangers become money launderers and use some of their dead, deadline cap space of the $30 million to, to take on assets from other teams? That would be smart. If they can. What else are they doing with it? Yeah, I mean... I don't know if they will. The Rangers should be, do- the Rangers should be doing a lot of things right now that makes them better today and for the long term. And they're currently not doing any of them. So I would do diligence. The Rangers, the Rangers, the Rangers, the Rangers should also trade Alexander Georgiev. How many times have we said that? Six years. The Rangers sat on this, but it honestly, it gets me angry. The Rangers have had all year to turn Vitaly Krausov into whatever the fuck they want. And they waited so long that a world war broke out. And now they might not be able to trade him. It's true. They did wait. Uh, this is from uh, this is from David. Are the Mets actually the Rangers? Insane starting pitching slash goaltending and stacked offense that can't behave produced normally in front of greatness. Uh, yeah. Why yeah. do you think we do this podcast? <laughs> That's why we do the show. This is from TSE1231. You get to transfer one player in the NHL on his current deal to the Rangers at the deadline. No assets given, no retention allowed. Who would you pick? Connor McDavid. Next question. <laughs> um, That's it. It's really the, It's really it. Yeah, I mean, if we're, but if we're doing, like, guys we've talked about as trade targets, it's, it's either Hurdle or Pavelski. Like, it's, it's just those two for me. Yep. Uh, Sean Carlson, with the amount of cap space the Rangers have and the fact that they're going to make the playoffs, do you see them getting involved in a three-team deal as pass, uh, pass through some other player, uh, pass through for some other playoff teams that happen to be up against the cap? No, I, I don't think they would help other teams that they're going to the playoffs with at all. Maybe in the West. They're not going to help anyone in the East. No way. Uh, this is from Brett. If you can go back in time and attend two Ranger games you weren't at and two non-Ranger games, what would you pick? Oh, this is a whole OT. Um, but you were at the Stepon game, so that's one for me. Wish I remembered more of it, though. Yep, very similar uh, to the story earlier. Eh, not, no, I was nowhere near that <laughs> the drunk. Ending of it I'll is tell you that. Similar. The ending of it is very similar, where, again, I lost them. Uh, I lost that? someone that was right in front of me. That's still <laughs> very impressive part. Um, so many more questions. I would say... Uh, I mean, I would game seven ninety four and step on. That's where I'd want to be. I don't know what else do you want me to say. 
I, but the the thing is, I think I'd rather be at games six and seven of the Eastern. At, now that we've watched it, the Devils, the Devils Ooh, games were so much so better good. than the Vancouver games. They're so good. Damn, they're good. Uh, this is from episode twenty nine. Greg, would you rather Degrom home run or Igor goal? I think this is Igor goal. I don't think it's close. Degrom, I've seen Degrom hit a home yeah, run. Yeah, Degrom hits home runs all the time. He's a fucking stud. Not uh, anymore. RIP. Yeah. Uh, Crybanajad, is Valley going to lose his job for mentioning you on Twitter? No, thanks for promotion, Valley. I appreciate it. <laughs> hey, they got a new PR guy in there. He's going to listen to this dildo episode. And be like, <laughs> He's like, Those are the guys I, that I we did, should send people I to. I did DM him today. And I was like, hey, my name's Ryan. I heard you got the new PR job. I do a podcast. Here's, about here's our latest episode. Ryan, sit down. Let me tell you about the time I get oh, $500 for a dildo to send a girl I'm I was, not dating. You know what? I have we'll some, never date again. I have a lot of important stuff going on in my life, and I knew this story was coming, and I was like, God damn it. I I, you you heard about it as it happened. I know. You knew. I knew. But that's you why knew. that's why I was dreading. I was like, I can't tell him not to tell this story. I'm not gonna do that. But uh, it is it is very strange timing. So if you were listening, PR guy, it is a good show. Thanks. Good um, story. Uh, Robbie, the Steve Dangle podcast guys recently talked about how good defensive pairs have a spear, offensive minded, and a shield, defensive minded player like old Spartan warriors. Got me thinking about the Ranger pairs with who's who are spears and shields. I mean, this makes sense. I mean, this to me, Truba's a spear, Miller's a shield, um, and then same thing with uh, Fox is the spear and Lingard's a shield, and that's the and then I guess Schneider. Uh, they're both shields down there for right now. Schneider. Well, I, I gotta tell you, I feel like Truba is both the spear and the shield, and it allows Miller to just be like an archer. Yeah, he kind of like because Miller can do a lot. It's that he has the offensive yeah. ability. He can also go coast to coast. I feel like Truba being able to do both allows Keandre Miller to do both. So I like, I honestly, I, I, I just, I feel like, yeah, I feel like Truba is the spear in the shield and Miller literally is shooting arrows at people. Uh, Captain Dick Rip says Hayek is more like a pool noodle. I, I agree. Um, final question from Alexa. Which current Ranger would get their number retired? The answer is Adam Fox and possibly number 31. We'll see. Yes. I think those are the obvious ones. I don't think Kreider gets I, there. He's close. If he gets named captain, and, I think and it's they possible. win a cup, he'll go up. Well, yes. I think if they win a cup, I think him and Zibanejad will go up there. I do think Zibanejad's interesting because he's going to score a lot of goals over the rest. Like, we're all, when all's said and done, would you be surprised if Mika Zibanejad was the New York Rangers career goals leader no he's gonna score a shit ton so like if he's the number one goal scorer in new york ranger history you can't tell me 93 has no chance of going up in the raft i know it's funny we haven't even mentioned panarin in this conversation but i don't think he has a chance even though he's a fucking i think it's it's very different when it's a player you would like zibanejad was acquired so young that you forget the rangers traded for him right times yeah he was just so like I don't know. Zibanejad's tough. I, I think I think Zibanejad, I think Kreider gets up there if the Rangers win a cup, and I think Zibanejad gets up there if he just pots 40-plus goals for – yeah, like if, if he just keeps scoring 30-plus over the eight years of his contract. Like he's a Ranger for eight more fucking years. Very true. All right. We have you're going to tell me for sure that guy's not going to get his number up there. Can't say that for sure. But the, but the, the guaranteed lock of the century is Adam Fox will be – at the rafters. <laughs> like, I, yeah, and at this point, I, <laughs> it's luck. It would be more shocking if uh, Igor, if something happened to Igor, and he wasn't one of the guys too. Yeah, those are the top two. Don't think it's close. All right, we'll be uh, we'll be right back. No, I don't think there's an ad today. So transition right into Travis Yost. Transition. 
Hey, back with recurring guest Travis Yost of TSN. Travis, thank you so much for joining us yet again. Recurring means I'm a legend now. Just want to remind you again. You were a legend the first time, to be honest. I mean, you were, too, you were big time for us. It was huge. We had like, you know, six people listening to us. It was awesome. And now look at us, 200 people. Anyway, um, let's get right to it. Who's your heart candidate and why is it Igor Shosturkin? Uh, it's down to two. It's Igor Shosturkin has a goalie or Austin Matthews in Toronto. Um, I, I, you know, this is now the, I don't know, 90th time that we're sitting here as voters weighing the best goaltender versus the best skater. And, and you know, not necessarily that, you know, Matthews has, is far and away the best skater like Shosturkin is, has been, has been the best goaltender, but um, it, it is, it is, a little difficult to consistently make these cross position comparisons. And when I look at, you know, and, and the other thing is like, it, it's also harder this year to differentiate between them because, you know, the Rangers have a lot of scoring pop. Yes. And certainly are uh, for the ninth year in a row, the best countering attacking team in the league, but more often than not, I mean, what they do, the magic they make in the defensive zone and, and, and frustrating defenses starts with goaltending. Right. And, and, and he has been far and away, most valuable player for the Rangers. On the other hand, like I, you watch a Maple Leafs game, and it, it's you don't see a whole lot at the depth of the position. You know, they, they, especially third and fourth line, second and third pair, the usual stuff that you see from most teams around the league. But it, Matthews has been such a dynamic, single individual talent this year, and has elevated that team in a way that that honestly no one else has at a skater level. I mean, he doesn't have the help that McDavid and Drysaitel have with one another. His team is materially better than that of Edmonton's. Um, I, I do think it is a flat-out two-horse race between the two. And quite frankly, if I was going to give a nod, it would probably be to the goalie because, quite frankly, goalies are more valuable. Um, and, 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 and if you're talking about who's added most value to their team, most wins, you know, in that line of thought, I, I, don't, I don't see how you could put Matthews one. Um, but, again, this is just an easy way for me to – Re-argue the same point I have for years, which is at some point we need to get to a best skater and best goaltender. They are fundamentally different positions. They have fundamentally different value. And you ask 100 people, they value the position 100 different ways. It makes it very hard to have any sort of confidence in the voting. Um, it, certainly if it feels like it's flipping a coin between best goalie and best skater, which it again feels like this year. The um, Travis, the argument I've been using on this podcast since we decided to you know start some Stir some, ruffle some feathers, stir the pot with this, with this conversation. Take, just replace the two on each team, right? So Igor Shosturkin joins the Toronto Maple Leafs, but they lose Austin Matthews. I'm fairly confident the Toronto Maple Leafs are in a rather similar position in the standings than they are as they are right now. Now you take Igor Shosturkin away from the Rangers. You bring Austin Matthews to the Rangers I'm still fairly confident that the Rangers are now out of the playoff picture, even with a great player like Austin Matthews on the team. That, in my eyes, is how important Igor Shosturkin has been to the Rangers. And that, to me, is the entire heart conversation. Well, counter-argument. Here's my counter-argument to your counter-argument. You ready? Um, I could make that argument about the best goalie every single year. I really could. Like, and, 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 you know, moving back from the Rangers for a second, stepping back, like, Tuka Rask had a claim on this trophy probably for four consecutive years. Carey Price had a claim on this trophy. Connor Hellebuck's had a, tra- a claim on this trophy. I, quite frankly, I you know, unless you have the vast majority of goaltenders really producing around league averages, which is never going to happen, you're always going to have a hot goalie. You're always going to have a very talented goalie get hot. I think we've seen a culmination of that here. 
there is no doubt in my mind the player who has added the most wins to the standing standings this season is Shesterkin, not Austin Matthews. However, that you know what's true this year, that that's really where, and I don't mean to make this a referendum on how we vote and what logic we apply, but um, you know, in some breath, it's like you're going to have a really really difficult time ever having finding a scenario where the best skater really was more valuable than the best goaltender and. Um, you know, I, you know, I think the stats community, right, wrong, or otherwise, has taken multiple stabs at this in terms of trying to how to apportion it, how to, you know, appropriately, you know, how to appropriately apportion player value at each position. And obviously, I think there's significant level of effort has been made there. But even if you were doing it from basic stats all the way up to, you know, some some more multi-regression type uh, goals by replacement measures, I, you consistently land on goaltenders are marginally more valuable when they are playing at the top of their game. Um, so I don't disagree with you at all. I just, you know, for the, for the sanctity of the heart and that's air quotes on sanctity for the sanctity of the heart trophy, I would love, I would love on a going forward basis to know when it is appropriate to vote for a skater, because I think you're absolutely right. But that is the problem. See, the thing with Igor though, is he's just doing something that most goalies have never done. I mean, his save percentage is absolutely ridiculous. I think the stat is if he saves 32 of the next 34, his save percentage actually goes down. Like, that's insane. Uh, and yet, he's, he's putting up numbers that we haven't really seen from a goalie since uh, Price about five, six years ago. And usually, yep. I would agree with your case, but this is an outlier position uh, where Igor is just take, doing something that goalies don't usually do. Whereas, you make a great case there that why there should always be a separate skater and, and goalie situation. And I agree with you. That's what the Vesna is for, right? But when something happens like this with a goalie where he's performing at such a high level where we don't see it or you haven't seen it, in the last, you know, 20 years, something like that. Yeah. He, it's just, it's got to be a no brainer to vote for him for the heart. Cause he, you've made the case. He is the most valuable on the ice. No doubt about it. You can make the case for that for every single year for, for goalies for sure. But this is just a special occasion. He's doing something that, like I said, not a lot of, not a lot of goalies in history can do. No, I, I would agree. And I would have him, it is a two horse race, but I'd have him number one on my ballot. I, I do think though, and like, it does, it's, it kind of is – it's a branch on the same tree of the Offensive Player of the Year versus NFL MVP. I mean, it's the same debate. It's same book, different chapter, right? It's like, well, you know, a wide receiver is never more valuable than a quarterback, but how do I weigh Cooper Cup 2,000 yards, right? It's the same exact conversation, different sport. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he has been far and away – in my opinion, he's been – far and away the most valuable player to his team. I don't really think that's a point of dispute. I mean, look where they are in the standings and look how many wins and look how many games that they have really ensnared from their opposition in games where they've either been competitive or they've been outplayed. I mean, the guy is just a, a ridiculous eraser. And then like, I know it sounds, I, I know everyone in New York automatically goes to this, but like when you have national, you know, types that, that are only catching a couple handfuls of Rangers games a year, um, or any team for that matter. And they're saying, oh, yeah, that's Henrik Lundqvist 2.0. I mean, that's, that's as big of a compliment as you can get. And quite frankly, this season, does it, it is like Henrik Lundqvist is playing that behind, behind them because he's great and steady and predictable. And when you need him to bail your team out on a three-on-two or a two-on-one, he's not going to take himself out of position. He's calm, cool, and collected. He knows how to play his post. He knows how to play the angles. Is he hot right now? Yeah, sure. But And it is, will he cool off at some point? Yeah, sure. But – I think he's already showing that he's entrenching himself as a top five goalie in the league, which is ridiculous. Um, and, and certainly, and on playing on this NFL note, it does feel very 
Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers in the New York uh, Rangers net, doesn't it? Right to go from Longquist yes. to this, Igor is just mind-boggling, quite frankly. Well, does, to put a bow on the heart conversation, then I promise we can start talking about almost anything else. Uh, it does it also speak to the volume that it does it come down to the gap between the number one goalie and the number two goalie for them to really have to be in the heart conversation? Like this, this whole conversation isn't a knock on a guy like Andre Vasilevsky, right? But there yeah. just isn't another goalie in the ho- in National Hockey League doing what Igor Shosturkin is doing. And he's separated himself so far from the competition that it feels like we need to give him a different award. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I think you can get there. Again, that's still a little bit murky from a statistical standpoint. But, I mean, you could use something as, as, as simple as Z-scores or something related to compare – you know, within the position and how much daylight a player has on, let's say, you know, second best to silver medal, I do think matters because you can point and say that player is materially better than anyone else in the world at his position. Um, whereas, you know, there is there is daylight. Matthews does have daylight between him and number two, um, but that daylight is shrunk in relative terms. So I, I, I think that that is the right way to go about it. I completely agree. Um, but it's also interesting, even from a goaltending perspective, is it like, so you had the, the Carey Price example. That was the 2016 season where he went just, you know, supernova all year, right? There there have been other instances where, like, you know, Tuka Rath carried these ridiculous save percentages on an elite, elite defensive team, right? One of the best defensive teams we've seen in the last 20 years. Um, and then I go back to Connor Hellebuck like three, four years ago where he had a very good save percentage, but you could have made a statistical argument that he was facing some of the most difficult shots of any goaltender that we had seen in the last five, seven years. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> maybe from raw save percentage, there's not as much daylight. But if you're looking at something like goals versus expected, I mean, the gap between Hellebuck in that season and, and, and runner-up was so extraordinary. It was the size of the Caribbean. So, you know, I think there's nuance even within the position. But I, I do think that is an appropriate way to look at it because, to me, that's much more apples to apples than saying, okay, well – who added more value, Matthews or Igor, and then or switching teams or getting into? I mean, there's so many contextual things that that create confusion. And trust me, I've done them all. It's just I try and figure out what is the clearest path forward. And unfortunately, when you get in these situations, sometimes there's no black and white answer. Let's talk about the playoffs, even though they're not really close here, but they feel set to me at least, especially in the East. Let's not. I'm, we're we're a Rangers podcast, no joke there. So, uh, Rangers Penguins seems to be the most logical outcome. Seems that the everyone wants to play Washington if they have the option to. The Hurricanes seem to be running away a little bit right now with the Metro and also the Atlantic is all set. Where do you do? You, do you see any of this changing whatsoever? Because I feel like we could start the playoffs tomorrow in the East if we really wanted. No, I go look. I my, the the article I'm most proud of this year. I like it was like the day after New Year's. I wrote an article to TSN and I thought my editor was going to slap me, but he did not. And it, the article was basically uh, the Eastern Conference is already resolved. It's done. The only playoff race that really exists in the Pacific Division. And quite frankly, it's been like, what, eight, eight weeks, seven weeks since that? And it's exactly the same. I mean, the Eastern Conference, you may have swaps between the two and three slots. Like, I know Toronto, Toronto's five points behind Florida, for example, and Rangers-Pittsburgh are split, so they're playing for home and away in all likelihood. I mean, it's not like Carolina's wrapped up that division either. But you know with, with, with extremely high confidence – who the eight teams are going to represent the Eastern Conference and have known that for months. I actually don't I, – I really do not remember, and you guys can check me on this, but I really do not remember a regular season 
um, where a conference conference was ultimately decided at the halfway point. I mean, by, by like game 35, 40, Tampa, Florida, Toronto, Carolina, the Rangers, Pittsburgh, maybe Boston, it was a little bit murky, but it was at least seven of those teams had effectively already locked up playoff spots. And quite frankly, like if you look at the Western Conference right now, where the playoff race was, like it took a Dallas. Dallas has just been ripping hot for the last five weeks, and they've they've really entered the fray. But it's really just been kind of what's going to happen in the Pacific. And I, you know, it it almost these are the types of seasons where, you know, I, you know, the, the NBA and the NHL are so yin and yang. It's not even funny. And there's really good things about the NBA. There's really good things about the NHL. The parity in the NHL, I think, is a is a net good thing, although I would like to see the regular season not be painfully long because every so often you get a season like this where parity, um, forced or otherwise, really hasn't led to anything other than a lot of meaningless games and potential injuries, especially in the East, over the next 30 games or so. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I can't recall I, – I can't recall a, a division or conference in any league that has been this just open and shut. Like – Right, the only question there was for a little bit there it was the Bruins and the Islanders had both not played a lot of games. The Bruins because apparently nobody knows how to make a schedule. The Islanders because <laughs> of uh, the pandemic. And then once the Islanders caught everybody up on the games, they still weren't playing well. And we're like, well, I guess it's just not going to make it up. So this is it. And it's, do you think what what is the path of least resistance in the East in your eyes? Like what who? Who has the best shot to make their way out of there because they have to go through a certain road? <laughs> See, this is the fun part. There is no path of least resistance, right? I mean, you, on one hand, in the Atlantic, you got to deal with Tampa Bay, Florida, and Toronto. And trust me, even though I work for TSN, I've taken great pride and joy in and reminding everyone there that the Maple Leafs have really never been a contender. Um, for all intents and purposes, too many weaknesses, too many holes in the lineup. I, I, I have pivoted this year. I think Toronto is legit for the first time. Um, and so when they lose in the first round, now I'm going to hear about it. But between Tampa Bay, Florida, Toronto, Carolina, and the Rangers in Pittsburgh are, are obviously no slouches. You've got six teams there that are effectively interchangeable. Like me personally, if you said, Trav, you get one team to avoid, um, you know, the entirety of the playoffs, I want to avoid really it's, it's, convenient but it's true it's the two division leaders right now i would probably say carolina one tampa bay two i i know tampa bay's got the you know the proven factor they've got a much you know a very veteran laden team that are still in their prime right and that that matters at a, an absolute ton on the other hand i think the real death match in the conference so long as toronto can get their goaltending situated that far to toronto two three i think is going to be the best opening round um, probably the cruelest opening round. I mean, Rangers Pittsburgh is comparable, but I, I think the talent is just a tick better um, in the Atlantic. Um, on the other hand, you know, which team, the path of least resistance, again, going back into early January when I was like, well, what the hell am I going to write about the Eastern Conference for the next four months since Dirty decided? I think one of the really interesting things, and they've turned it on of late, the Boston Bruins, who notoriously for, you know, I've been a, a maybe the most dominant team of the decade, um, you know, you know, after San Jose kind of fall off a little bit. Um, the Bruins record against playoff caliber teams, those, those top 16 teams in either conference, at least at the time when I ran it, the Bruins were like 20 goals in the red against playoff caliber clubs. And it's why they're, it's why they're sitting fourth in the Atlantic right now. It's basically effectively every time they've played a Tampa, Florida, Toronto, Carolina, New York, Pittsburgh, they've gotten touched up pretty bad. And that is, that is a pretty big shift from what, what we're accustomed to from the Bruins organization. 
I think if everyone had to bet on one really good team that's obviously aging out, you know, it's it's the Bruins. So that 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 seems to correlate. That's the opponent I want. It seems like Tampa Bay is setting themselves up for a possible matchup there. I think Washington's obviously a relatively weak team too, but unless you're going to get the top seed and draw one of those two, and Boston is no slouch. It's really just Washington, right? But unless you're drawing one of those two, you are in for a whale uh, of a of an Eastern Conference bracket because those top I, – I, I don't know where I stand on Pittsburgh, but I do think Tampa, Florida, Toronto, Carolina, and maybe to a lesser extent, but in the mix, the Rangers – I think all five of those teams can win, can represent the Eastern Conference. So I that 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 speaks to the level of talent in that, and it also is why there's so much there's such a lack of parity in that conference, right? These teams are so much better than the Detroit's and Montreal's and Ottawa's. They beat them every time they play. You don't see that as much in the West. But does 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 that make? I still despise how the NHL handles their playoff bracketing system. It's the worst. It's the yeah, worst. Twenty minutes on this right now. It's the well, worst. I just the I just playoff I, format. I just I want to make it clear that it it's absolutely batshit crazy that we are guaranteed guaranteed to have at least one of Tampa, Toronto, and Florida not make it more than one round. It's a guarantee. It has to happen. That's bananas, and it makes it, no sense. Of all the of all the dumb forced rules in the playoff, one of the things that has completely botched the playoff format since they made the change is the forced 2-3 matchup within the division. And the reason why this is the pro- this is the, the base case and where all the problems manifest, so the trickle-down effect becomes significant. Because the 2-seed must play the 3-seed in each division, as soon as you have an elite division or a weak division, you guarantee one of those two teams either is eliminated, to your point, or advances into the second round. I will never forget the first time well, – I think it was – I want to say it was the first time it happened. Um, it was it was that Vancouver Calgary. I want to say 2014 playoff round. It was I think the first year of the Force Two Three, and I mean these these were like the 15th and 16th best teams in the playoffs. They're playing each other in the first round. It, it was the, the, they have got if if the league is so adamant about playing out of the division. First off, I think that's a mistake. I think they should go at minimum back to one eight in the conference, and if not, they should go one sixteen. Quite frankly. Um, that's what I would prefer. But if they have got to get out of the division, this whole force two, three with a floating wild card has made it. So the first round is comically fair or unfair to a small number of teams every regular season. And again, I will bring this up, not just in the Eastern conference, you're going to have Florida and Toronto and the Rangers and Pittsburgh playing in the first round. Go look out West. I mean, like, you're going to have L- – right now, I think as it stands, you'd have L.A. Vegas. I mean, these are t- teams 10 points off the trail of the Rangers in Pittsburgh, right? Yep. you got St. Louis, Minnesota. Again, teams 10 points off trail. And and I think St. Louis is a very good team. I think Vegas is a very good team. I, I don't think that's really in dispute. Both those teams are very good. Vegas had a ton of injuries. But, like, the, I could sit here all day long and say Vegas is a, is a cup contender too, but they haven't earned the right to be like, well – Thankfully, thankfully, we get to draw L.A. in the first round. It's like, well, what did Vegas do to draw L.A. in the first round that the Rangers or Pittsburgh have to draw the other team who's 10 points better in the standings? I mean, that, that part is asinine. It's always been asinine. There, and, and barring a pure economics argument from the league, which I have never seen um, because they think it's all rivalry-driven, they, they are adamant that's where eyes go to TV sets. It's for rivalries and rivalries only. Um, so for as long as that's the case, this is the playoff format that we have to deal with. I, I really do believe 
This is the, the lowest hanging fruit in the entirety of the league. This is the easiest thing to fix to improve the product, and they will not do it for whatever reason. I do think 1 through 16 is kind of weird. I know, like, I get it. I know the NBA really hasn't done it yet either. But but East and West just makes too much sense. You, your case there is just too strong. It has to happen. The, 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 only, the only reason why I back off the one – first off, 116 is by far the most appropriate. I will, I'll die on that hill all day long. The only reason why I'm willing to back up off that hill for a second is if you have massive conference imbalance and you've got these teams playing the lion's share of the games within their own division because that's how the schedule is really borne out. Then, then it makes sense that teams can rack up additional, you know, incremental points or not, depending on the, the strength of their schedule. But, like, at some point, like, these teams are playing – the Central is playing plenty of games against Pacific. The Atlantic's playing plenty of games against the Metro. We have a phenomenal understanding of the true talent of these teams. And yet, when, when come game 83, it's like, well, well, this is the way it is. This is – the two plays the three. Was it, was it a few years ago um, – I want to say it was three, four years ago, Tampa played Detroit also in the first round, and I think it was like a 91-point team versus a 92-point team. And in the other conference, you had two teams at 105 points playing in the first round. I mean, I, I don't know how the league or the Players Association, for that matter, is, is fine with that approach. I mean, otherwise, it's like, well, what, what's the point of the regular season? We're just trying to clinch a playoff spot in the division. And if that's the case, that's that's less of an incentive for the moderate or casual fan to watch the games, I think. Well, go on, Greg, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, uh, in this situation, you can kind of see it with the players on the ice where, like, the Eastern Conference is locked up, and you can tell that certain players are just not going their full bore every single night. And I get it. Like, it's all locked up. I know that they're hockey players. They want to play for their team and et cetera. But it happens in the NBA, too. You kind of, like, NBA uh, NBA players actually take nights off where the NHL do not. Uh, and these guys, but they do take nights off on the ice just a little bit. They won't be going the full oh, yeah. 100%. You can tell. We watch these guys every single night, and it's just like, all right, well, the Eastern Conference is locked up. We're bound to play Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins no matter what we do. We have Igor back there. We're trying to win him the heart. Outside of that, not so much going on right now. Um, you, you listen, you listen, and I'll, I'll jump to an organization that I think is I, – I think it's the best it's, – it's the most well-run organization in the league. And if it's not one, it's two, and it's Carolina, right? And I don't I, – I really don't think that's debatable anymore. I think four or five years ago people were saying, oh, but the goal pending, it's like – well, they're an absolutely dominant team, but it, it really does. Like, you can listen to Rod Brindamore and the rest of the, the, the Carolina Hurricanes front office, the way they think, the way they talk, the way they right. approach roster building, the way they approach games. And I, I look at a team like Carolina, and you watch some of the Carolina games in the last few weeks, and it's not the knockout. I mean, it's like they're not playing with the same pace they were in October. They're just not. And they're not going to play with that, you know, the pace that they're playing with now is not what you're going to see come late March and early April. And, I, I have to imagine at some point, like it, Rod Brindamore is, 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 is maybe one of the more impressive people that's really entered the re-entered the league. I should say over the last few years, you can't tell me he's sitting there or in, in an effective way, having his guys give it 110% every single night, knowing damn well that the only thing that they need to do right now is just lock up that one seed, which quite frankly, they may be only 10 games away from. And then to that point, it's playing out the strings, staying healthy. And by the way, like on that, like tangentially related, like you see that with other teams, right? Like whether, whether, wherever you stand on the Nikita Kucherov long-term injured reserve or the Mark Stone long-term injured reserve. And by the way, like it should be noted, Vegas has been a worse team without Mark Stone in the lineup. Surprise, like it's hurt them, but like they're still managing the cap, right? That's the entire debate. It's like, yeah, well, you know, we can get through this part of the season, come back game 83 when there's no cap. And, and really what you're saying is, 
we have enough talent to get by, so why don't you take a few extra games off? And if you're already saying that without poisoning the conversation, you're already conceding you're not putting your best effort forward. So I, I do think that there's some truth to that um, that, that, really, that really can't be argued against. Travis, we are exactly two weeks away from the NHL trade deadline, and I have never been less certain of who the hell is actually going to get traded at this year's trade deadline. Can you enlighten me and tell me what we should actually reasonably expect over the next 14 days? I'm going to be a good employee. I'm going to tell you to go to TSN's trade bait board because it is the most comprehensive trade bait board list you will find. Um, And the way they compile this is twofold. One, it's the likelihood of the player being moved. And two, it's the quality of the player. I, I would say that again I, i'm i'm too complimentary to you today we gotta i got come back i'm next time i'm coming on i'm being super pessimistic but fine you're right and the reason why is simple the cap is a disaster for like 80 percent of the teams in the league and then you've got this weird tranche of teams who really should be doing everything they can to pass dead money contracts i mean arizona the coyotes are basically a ponzi scheme at this point but you got teams like ottawa um seattle you know teams with tremendous flexibility with the cap just because of where they are right now um, that should be really acting as third-party pass-throughs. But, like, you guys see it. The real economy's got not great. The NHL's not doing great. And, you know, at, at, at the attendance, and it is a box sport, um, ratings aren't, you know, ripping hot, even though the new TV deal has been a, a, a bit of a boon in relative terms. I, it, it's, it's, it's created a dynamic where teams either don't have the cap space to get what they want, have marginal cap space, and can't acquire, the, the, you know, the – the big-time player that's available on the trade market. I, I wrote about this about the Maple Leafs last week. They want to add a defenseman. It's like, okay, well, which defenseman is out there? Okay, Jacob Chickren's been talked about for five months in Arizona. He's got, you know, I think three years left on his deal. He's a super young player. The Coyotes are going to want the world for him. Okay, we'll go down the list. Ben Sherratt, John Klingberg. I mean, Dallas is getting you think, you, I find it very hard to see Dallas trading John Klingberg the way they're playing right now. Mark Giordano, 65 years old. Colin Miller's had a great season, but he's playing in Buffalo, and it's like, and he's carrying a decent-sized cap hit. And it's like, okay, well, then which – not only which of the guy are you willing to throw assets at and in your very limited cap space, on top of that, which player are you taking out of the lineup so that he improves this team? And I think you can find spots um, – I think you can find spots where a position is critically in need of improvement. The Edmonton Oilers' goal, the Edmonton Oilers goaltending situation is, is probably at the top of the list, the way Mike Smith has played. Um, I, I think that's what makes Alex – Georgiev as, as a backup goalie in the Rangers uh, from the Rangers. I think that's what makes him a very interesting trade candidate because there is a need and an appetite for, for a, you know, a one B type platoon goaltender for a number of playoff teams, especially if the goalie ca- carries a relatively small cap hit like he does. But um, like in terms of big names, could it be, I, I don't see Klingberg happening. Could it be Giroux? Maybe. Um, could it be Chickren? I mean, they, they've had four months to trade him. Maybe that's a summer deal when teams have more flexibility and Arizona wants to continue whatever the hell they're doing. Um, but I, I actually do wonder if this is going to be a bit of a muted trade deadline. I just, it's really for this trade deadline to be wild, you know, in the, in the usual, holy crap, that was, I can't believe it's 75, 80 trades. You're going to need these bottom feeder teams with cap space to act as pass-throughs and brokers. By the way, they should be doing that. Um, but we've seen time and time again, some organizations are reticent to do it. So it remains to be seen. The Rangers uh, might actually be the people that save this trade deadline. As you might know, they can I say the one, can I say the one player I would go get right now? You should. Thomas Hurdle. 
not I wouldn't even think twice about it. Tomas Hurdle Tomas Hurdle reminds me verbatim of Mark Stone in his last two seasons in Ottawa, an insanely talented player that everyone knows is insanely talented, who's had muted production only in relative terms because it's the rest of the team around him has been junk. I mean, it, it is it is a you can draw a direct line between where Stone was and his talent level and Hurdle and his talent level. He's an incredible playmaker. He can fit in any team's top six in the NHL. I know he's got a decent-sized contract, which makes him difficult, but if there is one guy I want to go after, and I know he is going to dramatically improve my team, he is at the top of the list. He's number one for me. See, the Rangers, I would think they would love to do that, but I don't know, because their cap is $32 million right now. They'd love to fit everybody onto there. They, I think they need to get three or four guys. They could fit Hurdle, no problem. He could be a rental, and that's fine. I don't think Chris Drury wants to sell off all the farm to get a one-year rental just to go in this year. Should he? Maybe. I mean, we're talking E. Russia Sturkin and Adam Fox and Artemi Panarin. It's pretty good right now. Things are good. But I, I have a slight feeling he doesn't want to do that. But if he did, he couldn't re-sign him. That's the other issue. Is that because the Rangers automatically go into cap hell starting next year for many, many years to come, no matter what. They have a lot of guys to pay, yep. DeAndre Miller, Lafreniere, and also they have to pay Ryan Strom if they want to. Uh, and Ryan Strom's probably going to have to try and accept a 4.5 or a $5 million contract if he wants to stay, or at least that's what the Rangers are going to tell him. And guess what? He's probably not going to do that either, and he's a backbone of this team. Um, so I think that's the player they should go get. I, the real player we've been talking about, especially Greg, for a really long time here is Pavelski, but the Dallas Stars are too hot right now, and they're going to probably extend him. I'm going to give you a scary thought here. You know a team can get Tomas Hurdle? Uh, Colorado Avalanche. Hate that. <laughs> we have been talking. We have been talking for like two, three years now about like everyone acknowledges the Avalanche are top five team in the league. They're the best team in the Western Conference. I I, I know Vegas when healthy can can give them a match, but I, I think Colorado's number one. Um, they they may be the best team in the league when they're hot, right? And kind of a weird like a weird couple playoff exits, but we have acknowledged for quite some time now that this is an elite team. We have. We have stopped talking as much about the just ridiculous amount of cap space and roster-building effort that's been done down there. They could easily, easily bring him into the lineup. And I, I cannot, honestly, with his acquisition, his ad into that lineup, I think, I think they become the cup favorite. I, re- I really do. Um, and, and, you know, if you, if you set aside their early goaltending woes, I mean, they have just been just destroying teams for two-thirds of the season now. So, I, that that would be one where I would say, one, it's a fascinating idea. Two, it will cost the Avs a small fortune. But three, if they did it, ooh, talk about an all-in move to, to kind of, you know, it, it's pretty rare you get an odds-on type favorite in the NHL. I think Colorado would move into that spot with that type of ad. Uh, Travis, uh, not as sexy of a name, but a name that Ryan and I have talked about uh, probably once an episode since October. Explain to me why. Everybody hates Phil Kessel. Um, I, there's, there's no, I mean, there's no, there were no good reasons about seven to ten years ago. I so the, the problem with Kessel is the way he played five, seven, nine years ago lend itself to criticism, stupid criticism. Anytime he didn't score a goal on a given night, right? It was like, ah, oh, well, half-assed effort. He's lazy. He's not a great defensive player. By the way, he wasn't a great defensive player. That's true. But I always thought the criticisms of him were so overblown because it's like you guys are talking about a top five percentile score in the league and you want him back checking like Patrice Bergeron. Not everyone's Patrice Bergeron. He's a phenomenal high-end attacker. I still think he adds some degree of value. However, however, I will say 
it has been much easier to marginalize him out of games in the past couple of seasons. I think some of that is the talent he's been playing with. Certainly was the case in Arizona. Um, but on the other hand, I think what was said, it not, I don't want to call it a self-fulfilling prophecy, but it's almost like the arguments that were made about Kessel, which were wrong at the time, were invariably going to be right as he got older. And I think that's what you're seeing now, right? You're talking about an older player who is a massive speed weapon, you know, in his prime and still, still is, still is a relatively fast skater. He's also going to be 35 in October, right? So that's the sort of stuff that you're like, okay, maybe it's a low-risk ad. And I, I think low-risk ads are brilliant, move, the type move that you want to make at the trade deadline because you're not going to handcuff yourself if it doesn't work. Uh, on the other hand, the upside, the upshot on, on getting a player like this can be, can be valuable, right, especially as a secondary option. So I think, I think he's an interesting candidate. On the other hand, I do think what was said about him incorrectly five, six, seven years ago about you know how weak his net results would be because of his defensive play and his, his, his inability to you know attack the puck when he's playing away from it, um, his, will, his inability to play physical on the boards, but right, wrong, or otherwise, and however valuable he was back in the Toronto days and even the late stages Toronto days and even in his Pittsburgh days, I, I think you're seeing a little bit of that actually creep into his game, but I think that's born because he's 34 years old, soon to be 35, and I, that's just something that teams are going to have to weigh when they're talking about him. But like for a third-round pick... And Rangers had the Rangers bottom six is literally just a pile of trash. Like that's just what's yep. going on right now. That's a ama- that's an amazing value in my opinion. Uh, it, it's amazing value, but I I think the Kessel argument, right? I I think if I were a GM, Kessel is the exact type of low risk ad I would go after if I had a playmaking center I could put him with. And 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 the reason why I say that is Kessel is a is a speed type player. Um, another guy he reminds me of, kind of where he's at in his career right now is Mike Hoffman, right? Mike Hoffman is, I'll call him one-dimensional, right? An incredible shooter, very agile, and a, a strong attacker, but doesn't really give you anything much else. Not to marginalize him, that's just the player he is. I kind of see Kessel in the same light. Um, when Ho- when players like Hoffman and Kessel, he's Patrick Laine. I mean, Patrick Laine's in his prime. It's, it's, it's a much bigger, you know, much heavier baseline. But it's the same thing, right? When you see that guy playing with a playmaker – someone who's creative, someone who can open up space, someone who can open up shooting lanes for a player like Phil Kessel and his ridiculous wrist shot still today at the age of 34, then that starts to make a lot more sense. If you bury Kessel on a weak line and say, well, he's Phil Kessel, he's still a decent player, what can he do? I think the point I would make back to that is, well, we've kind of seen that, right? And the results haven't been great. And, and that's fine, right? I think the, the billion-dollar general manager – makes a billion dollars because he understands how skill sets complement one another and he doesn't try and force fit pieces just because he thinks it's a it's a smart buy or a value add type situation where a team's trying to you know a team's cap stress or you know whatever the case ends up being um i i think the the math of it is a great general manager knows how to put the pieces together as does a coach and and to me that that's the, that's the operative question not just for the rangers but for anyone else is who's the playmaking center they can put them with and do you have confidence in a third line, you know, maybe second power play type uh, position that he can deliver? I think at the cost of a third, fourth round pick, I think that's, I think that's worth considering for sure. All right, riddle, riddle me this one before you um, make your exit stage left here, Travis. Don't tell me what you think the Rangers should do, because I think you, you're in line similarly to how Ryan and I are thinking. Tell me what you actually believe the Rangers will do at this year's deadline. What I actually believe they will do at the deadline. Um, 
I think they're going to go. I think they're going to be relatively quiet. And for two, for really the one reason that that was mentioned earlier, I think the cap situation becomes significantly more hairy uh, starting this summer. Really, uh, that's number one. Number two, I think you have a relatively young core uh, that that the team is building off of with a just a white hot goaltender. And if you're looking at it from the Rangers' perspective. Um, they, they have become a very, very top-heavy team. Um, and that, that can be a good thing. That can be a bad thing. We know great top-heavy teams. We know ugly top-heavy teams. When you're top-heavy, though, the one thing it precludes you from doing is being able to swap out, as aggressively anyway, you know, quality third, fourth-line type players, prospects who are, you know, trying to fight for ice time and they can't really realize it quite yet. That's, that's really not so much where the Rangers are right now. And I think, I, I think what you're going to end up seeing is them adding relatively little on the cap side. Um, I do think I, I do think I, I wonder if the Rangers and a number of other teams for that matter do look for one type uh, one type ad on the blue line. Um, you know, most teams are going to be in the market for a second, you know, air quotes, second pairing guy, because who isn't when you're a playoff contender? Um, but Justin Braun's an interesting name. I mean, I, I know he's on the, you know, the very tail end of his career. But when you're talking about a guy making less than two million dollars, he's still somewhat effective in his role. He would be a good depth add, uh, you know, at least to give something to the Rangers beyond their first two pairings. That would be something where you can add a little bit of value to the back end. I, I And by the way, as I'm saying this, I realize how lame it sounds. I want to say it's Jacob Cherkerin. I want to say it's Hampus Lindholm. I just don't see that happening. And that's, you know, for, for most teams, for that matter, not just the Rangers. So I think you're going to see a quiet trade deadline, maybe a depth add on the blue line. But beyond that, I, I, I'm not sure um, – I'm not sure how much is out there and how aggressively the Rangers are going to pursue it, considering where the cap's going to go right now. I hope you're wrong. But, Travis, I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on tonight, man. Um, anything you want to plug for me down here? Um, no. Uh, the, only, the only other thing I would say, I'll give you one other name in the forward ranks. Um, Nick Paul in Ottawa, um, another relatively cheap player, but a very useful one. Just ha- you just haven't said JT six. Miller at all, Travis. Like, uh, I have not said I, I have not said J.T. Miller because I don't see that happening specifically because of the reasons that Vancouver, the, the price that Vancouver is asking for is insane. J.T. Miller is a bit eyebrow raising, whereas I think Nick Paul can be had for a mid-round pick. And when you I, you said it best, the bottom six is trash. If I can get an effective player on my third line at you know 1.5 million, and, and to me Nick Paul would be a better ad than a player like Justin Broadwood. Um, that, that, that's just, you're, again, you're just creating redundancy, right? And so for the Rangers going into the playoffs, it can't be kill or be killed, right? It can't be the top six kills and the top, the bottom six is be killed. It's got to be kill and sustain, stay alive, survive, right? That's what we've seen from every cup contender really in the modern era is the bottom six, the second and third pairings, they don't get killed, right? They're, they're fighting for break even and the big guns are, are winning their battles. And, the Rangers aren't there yet. I mean, they just aren't. Few teams are. So I think I think an effort to improve really the depth side of things for the Rangers is what you're going to end up seeing at the deadline. Travis, you're the best, man. Thanks so much. Anytime, guys. Be easy. Appreciate it, bud. All right, and as always, I want to take the time at the end of the show to thank our NHL Insiders Club. It's been a great time. It's been a blast talking to all of you, as always. One of my favorite chats in the world. And we all prop each other up. And I'm going to congratulate some people on today's episode. Adam Cassidy, Adam Cohen, Adam Curtulo, Adam Skeets, Alex Gartner, Amber Cohensberger, Austin Beetleman, Barbie Chris, Ben Waters, Ben Weber, Brett McGinnis, Brian Doyle, Brian Gallagher, Broadway Blue Shirt Bleeder, Chris Finelli, CJ Stellwagen, Daniel Dezen, David Narod, and David Siegel, Dennis Dites, Darian. Eric says Binghamton isn't that bad, Greg. Elmeria, though? 
I don't know. I, did I say that wrong? Eric's going to kill me. Eric Stagg, give Gardner a cup. Gr- Gr- Gretzky, Gareth McFly, Handel, Harrison Hasco, Hip Hop or 89, Ian Rodriguez, Jake Berkowitz, Jerry Marquez, JD, Jimmy Mack, John Hardesty, Jordan, Justin Friedman, Justin Starr, Christopher Florida, Christoph Berg, Laser Gronkowski, Luigi or Donald Lucas K, Matthew Kine, congratulations! Max Nielsen, Mike Bucklaw, Neil Grover, Pascal Perrier, Pavel Kojarev, thank you, Pavel, Randy Tesser, Stephen Lomayer, and then of, of course, Stig Box, Swingart, The Drop BK, Thomas Well. Uh, Thomas Weish? Is it Welsh? It's Welsh. I'm sorry. That's not an I. Tommy Seclary, Tom, Tom Rush Jr., the legend, Tommy O'Neill, Tori Manhattan, the original OG supporter, Upstate Van, Vinny Bracco, Vinny Hay, Will Spector, and Winston, the Golden Retriever. Always fun saying that last one. I want to do a quick monologue real quick. That's how quick monologues work, in case you were wondering about Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren. And what I was thinking about both these players is, is the last couple weeks, as you've watched both of them, um, kind of go back and forth. This is a pair that's been dependable. That's been really, I don't want to say the rock of this team, but they've been consistent at all, every single night. And Adam Fox, as you know, won the Norris, is a tremendous player, going to be up in the rafters, etc. But since his injury, things have looked a little bit off. They've looked a little strange. And I, I do want to say, and I, this isn't taking away anything from Fox, I do think the Rangers have locked up a playoff spot. I do think he's not pushing himself the way he usually is. His game seems a step slow. He seems like he's still recovering from some injuries, but Ryan Lindgren in general has, has worried me just a little bit. Talk about this with a couple of my uh, a couple of my friends very often. It's just Lindgren looks just a smidge off. The, I don't know. I, I know he's blocked shots. I know he does everything right. I know he's the grit and toughness. I love the guy. He's bleeding all over the ice for the New York Rangers constantly. Don't get me wrong. I love him. But when it comes to Ryan Lindgren, his game just looks a little off, a little stale. And, and it could be just the long doldrums of this season. It's hard to remember that these players haven't had full 82 games. They've had two shortened seasons before this. And Ryan Lindgren is just is just part of that. This is a different marathon sprint for a player like him who's, ha- who's never had to do this level of, of NHL play and this kind of schedule. And I wonder if, if it's just Fox and Lindgren adapting to that. I'm sure they're banged up a little bit. I'm sure there's injuries, and I'm sure they're pushing through it. But how do you how do you, as a player, get to the playoffs and and be fresh while also playing 31 games in 60 days? It's a stupid question, but it's what the Rangers have to do. How do you get to the playoffs versus the Pittsburgh Penguins and be fresh to play while also maintaining your point lead? Um, And I think that's what Fox and Lindgren are doing right now. And there's just something to watch. Just watch the chemistry. I know Fox still has the points going on, but there's just... You guys all watch Adam Fox. He's a wizard. He's a magical person out there. And there's just been times where he's looked just a slight bit off over the past couple of days. Maybe I'm wrong. Listen, I I could be overreacting. It's my job to break this stuff down, to analyze it, to to make these observations. I'm not criticizing Adam. I'm not criticizing Ryan. I think they're both great players. They're wonderful. I love them, et cetera. Uh, But in this time, it's just, it's just something to watch. Just something to keep your eyes on. And also watch for the, watch, watch for, for what teams trying to do to Igor. I'm so fascinated by when you have a player like Igor for Shisterkin and net, He's clearly a hard candidate who's already won the Vesna. It's already locked up. What do teams try and do to beat him? And I, I, I know there's a big argument online about what people could do, but in my eyes, they try and go high. I, you saw that with St. Louis. I know it was a fluke. There was three times in a row. Totally understand. But you saw the Devils try and do it too. You saw the Jets try and do it. They try and go high glove side. And that's hard to do. It's not easy. But I just look for where teams are going to try and shoot against Igor to try and break him down. He's not going to let them. He'll adjust. He's Igor Shesterkin. But it is an interesting subplot. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. we got a BSBOT coming Wednesday afternoon. We love you guys. We'll see you then. Bye.